Brandon, the worship team, band, thanks for leading us tonight. What a, what a joy that is. Hey, it's good to be with you tonight. Uh, my name is Tim Gianosa. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, normally I get to hang out at the Ceres campus. And so it's good to be with you tonight. And, uh, uh, and actually, we get to be, I get to be at all the campuses this weekend. We're going to kind of travel a little bit, which is going to be fun. We are going to be in, looking at Luke chapter 10 as we make our way through the book of Luke. We've been looking at a lot of different verses and chapters, and we've taken big chunks, and we've taken small ones, and this one, we're taking a relatively small part of the passage, and it's even a passage that's familiar to, to many of us. And uh, so let's take a, a look at it right now. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25 through 28. Several questions are asked, several questions are, answers are given, and uh, it's really a passage that just goes back and forth, question, question, answer, answer, question, question. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a very common way that rabbis taught and teachers taught, but is much more involved than just that. And what we're going to find is the very first question might be the most important question that there is in all of scripture and certainly in our lives. And so join me in looking, starting at verse 25. One day, an expert of the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say, and how do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. (laughs) That's exciting. (laughs) Sort of. And so that was the question, and Jesus gave the answer. But let's dig into that question just a little bit more. Because it's the question that each one of us must ask. It's being asked of us, and it will certainly be asked of us in some sort of a way, not exactly like this, but on the day of judgment, it'll be asked. On the day that we pass from this life to the next, it'll be asked in some regard. And I think you'll see what I'm saying in just a minute. But Jesus, the master teacher, sees the moment of this question. Even though it was the most important question, he just didn't come straight out and answer it. He sees the moment to bring the possibility of life to someone, even someone that seemed to have wrong motives or a hardened heart. You see, in answering the lawyer, and this lawyer was an expert in the religious law, the law of Moses, he would teach it and explain it and expound upon it and make sure that the people of Israel would know exactly how to live out God's law. He was in charge of giving out God's law to people and making sure that there was an understanding. But in answering this, the lawyer's attention, he drew the lawyer's attention to the law, which makes sense. That's what he knew best. But he did more than that. And if we sit there and just say, well, of course, he's a lawyer, so he goes back and he says, here, you're going to answer your own question here. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about the law. If you want to know how it is that you inherit eternal life, we're going, to, we're going to talk about the law. But there's more. Don't let it be just that. See the bigger picture here and what Jesus is saying. He's about to help us understand once again, as he's done so many times, as we've seen it so many times in Luke and throughout the Gospels, is that if we want to find the answer to life's questions, If we want to find the answer to what is righteous and what is not, if we want to find the answer to who is Jesus, we want to find the answer to what is salvation, we want to find the answer to, we want to find the answer, where do you go? You go to Scripture. 
We don't go to our thoughts. We don't go to our philosophies. We don't go to self-help books. We don't go to Oprah. We don't go to any of those places. We go to Scripture. And that's where Jesus did. Jesus, being God himself, could have just spoke with absolute authority. But what did he do? He pulled out the Scripture so we would know. We would know when you're looking for the answer to life's great questions, go to Scripture and trust it. And so that's what he did. So the answer, which we saw a minute ago, is what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, well, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told them, do this and you will live. He actually answered with what's called the Shema, and it's a prayer that's recited two times a day. And it's taken from Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. Those passages read like this. It says, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your might, from Deuteronomy 6.5. And then from Leviticus 19.18, it says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. You shall love your neighbors yourself. I am the Lord. This is your command. This is what you shall do. And Jesus would go on to say that it, if we, that those two commandments there sums up all the commandments of the Lord. It sums up the entire Ten Commandments because the love of the Lord your God is the first part of the commandments that teaches how to have, interact with him and how to love him and how to have a relationship with him and, and what that's going to be like and how we will serve the Lord. And then the second part is to love your neighbor. And the second part of the Ten Commandments is all about how we will take that love, the love that God has shown us, and how we will go and demonstrate that love to others. It's all wrapped up right there. We, we made it. Except for there's this problem this gaping problem which is exactly why jesus answered this and as a lawyer he absolutely understood the problem what did he say how shall i inherit eternal life how will i get it how will i get to eternal life and jesus goes oh let me just tell you love the lord your god with all of your heart mind soul and strength be absolutely committed all that you are be committed to god and do it right by the way do it perfectly be perfectly committed to the Lord, perfectly love him, perfectly give him your devotion, and then now perfectly go love others. Perfectly treat them as the Lord would treat them. Perfectly take your love for the Lord and your knowledge of the scriptures and perfectly interact with other people. <laughs> I don't know what that's like because I'm not a lawyer, but that's gotta be some sort of mic drop in the courtroom going, uh, this isn't gonna be good. Uh, you got something, we got a star witness somewhere. We got some surprise thing going on. There's got to be something we can bring out here. Something, anything? Oh, no, okay. Because he can't do it. There's no way. He was standing there in his own self-righteousness going, this is going to be good. Jesus is going to give me the answer that I'm looking for. And everybody will hear that if you're just like me, if you're, then this is how you get to, this is how you get salvation. This is how you inherit eternal life is you do what I do. You're the good religious guy. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not where we're headed at all. No, you cannot be righteous and stand before me. You do not have the ability to stand righteously before me. You do not have the ability with your sinful nature and who you are and your selfish pride to stand before me and think that you can have 
eternity that you can inherit the kingdom of God on your own merit. Can you imagine hearing that from the Lord and you're thinking, oh man, this morning I, my camel kind of kicked over the neighbor's trash cans and I left them. <laughs> Does that count as not loving my neighbor? I don't know for sure. Or you think as I was coming in, I, I don't know, I did a couple of things. Maybe I got a little angry at the intersection of camel and crossway. I'm not sure, but maybe that's not good enough. Or I start to think, well, of course I love Jesus, but I, I just, you know, I, I needed a little extra for the homestead this week, and I needed a, I wasn't quite, I mean, uh, my wife hasn't been that nice to me lately. I thought it might be nice to talk to another woman, uh, but I mean, I, I, I mean, do you see it all? Do you see how it all, like, what's, what's playing out in his head at that very moment? I don't know, but Jesus is going, hey. <laughs> and then he has this, and he has this moment, and it's, it's the right now moment. It's right when Jesus asked him, what does the law say? He's got this moment, and he can do one or two things. He can go ahead and try to justify himself, or he can say, I can't do that. I need you, Jesus. I need, I need the mercy of God. We all have that, don't we? We all have that moment where we realize that I, I can't be righteous before the Lord and what will I depend on? My own justifications, why it's okay that I'm not completely righteous before the Lord? That, hey, well, at least I'm better than the dude down the street. You see that guy. Yeah. Whatever our things are, we got a choice. That's exactly what happens here is he had a choice. And so then who can be saved? And at this point, you better shout out, Jesus, I need you. Because there's this beautiful thing that happens. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He knew very well that we needed him. And so he came, he came and he lived this perfect life and then he became sin even though he had no sin. And he said, now I'm gonna give you my righteousness and all you have to do is receive it. I'm gonna go ahead and pay your penalty if you will receive it, but you have to receive it. You have to desire it. You have to humbly come before me and lay down your pride and just take the gift. See, Jesus is willing to give us, give us his righteousness. We're, we're gonna see in just a second that the lawyer missed out on it. And, and here's what I just wanna say tonight. I don't know who's in this room. I don't know who you are, but I'm just saying to you right now, the question has been posed. It's not a later question, that's a question right now. What must you do to receive eternal life? You must receive Jesus' righteousness and forsake your attempt at righteousness. And I hope you don't miss it. I hope you don't depend on what you can do as opposed to what Jesus did. I hope you don't miss it. Because here's the greatness of it. John 14, six through seven, it's a very familiar passage to many of us in this room, but it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no righteousness of your own. There's no way to come before the Father and say, my life is worthy of your acceptance because it's not, because we trash God all the time. We trash what he says is righteous and holy all the time. We turn our back on him all the time. I treat people with utter contempt all the time. I don't love 
his people the way I should. I don't love his enemies the way I should. I don't do any of those things. I don't deserve his love at all. And yet he lavishes it upon us. And he says, if you'll, I am the way, if you'll receive my righteousness and my forgiveness, you will be united with the Father. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will receive the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit literally means that, that, to be humble. I need you. I need you, Jesus. And they will receive what? The kingdom of heaven. What is that? Eternal life. That's all it takes. He did the work. He did all the work. He took all the penalty. He paid this brutal, outrageous price that not one of us would be willing to pay. And he did. He did. And then finally in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you pro profess your faith and you are saved. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. If we say, yes, Jesus, I need you, it says you will receive salvation. It is a guaranteed deal. We don't sit and wonder. We don't wonder if it's a possibility. We don't wonder if I've been good enough. We don't wonder, will he receive this one, but not that one, but maybe this one, but not that one. I had a really good year here, a couple bad years there. What will he count against me? What will he count for me? We never, ever stand before the Lord like that. We stand before the Lord as righteous people because of his righteousness fully invited into the kingdom of heaven, absolutely adopted as his sons and daughters, and that's who we are. Amen for sure. And I stand on solid ground knowing what? That I am convinced that the love of Christ will never depart from me. It'll never be taken from me. But that's only if we go to him and say, yes, I receive it. Have you declared your need for Jesus. See, that's, our, that's how we got to our Big Valley Grace mission. That we love God, love others, and make disciples. And you say, well, where did that come from? <laughs> we just read it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then what? Go tell everybody about it. Go tell everybody about it. Because you've received it, now go tell and now go help others know and now go help others grow up in it. And now go encourage each other in your walks and go, 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 right? Because that's what Jesus said right before he ascended to heaven. He says, hey, I've given you all of this now. Do what? Go. You're now sons and daughters of the kingdom, so you're involved in the family business. What's the family business? It's now the priority of your life to go. To go and tell others all about Jesus. You see, we know we need him, and because he receives us, and because he gives us the Holy Spirit, and we have his word, we learn every day, moment by moment, how to love him with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. And as we've received his love, we become so grateful and want to pour that love out to others. As we've received his goodness and his mercies and his righteousness, we want to pour that righteousness out into others. And why? Well, one, because he says, I have loved you, now go love as I have loved you. But two, because we are so overwhelmed with this, we don't want anyone to be without it. And so we give it to them. And then we help those who are far away from Christ and those who are close to grow up in Christ. That's who we are. By the way, Big Valley Grace's mission is, 
It's just the mission of Jesus Christ that he left for his church. We didn't make it up. That's right here in scripture. There's another question. Here's another one. And the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, all right, who is my neighbor? Look, he knew he couldn't. He knew he couldn't please the Lord. He knew his righteousness wouldn't be enough. But instead of humbly coming before him, what does he do? He seeks to justify himself. He seeks to come to some sort of a conclusion. All right, man, here's here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to say, your neighbor, he is the the people of Israel. And you're like, oh, okay, I've done really well by the people of Israel. I mean, I'm a lawyer. I take care of the word. I tell people what to do. And I, I make sure they're following Yahweh. They bring their sacrifices. This is good. This is good. We don't know what all of his thoughts were. We don't know how it was that he was going to try to justify himself. But something in this question, and we can definitely make some good inferences, but we don't know for sure. Something in this question was helping him to justify himself, to feel good about himself. And and so, what's your neighbor? First of all, so I posed in your outline there. I said, this is a really good question. The best question was, how do I receive eternal life? And we just said it's through Jesus and Jesus alone and no other way. But this is also a really good question because we're supposed to go love our neighbor. And so even though he meant it for something different, it's a great question. Who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Ah. Let's see what Jesus had to say. Verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Hey, do me a favor, though. A lot of us are going, I know this story. It's called the Good Samaritan. It's been talked about for a long time. We actually have a building out there called the Good Sam Building. Do me a favor. Let's really focus in on, on the words of the story. Let's see what the Lord might have for us today as we kind of dig into it a little bit, okay? So, Jesus replied with this story. He said, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped away his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. A, a, temple, assistant, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion on him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed the wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bills run higher than this, I will pay you next time I am here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked his, or attacked by bandits? Jesus asked, and the man replied, mm, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, now go and do the same. Hmm. So the man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho in Jesus' story, right? Although it's less than a 15-mile journey, Jerusalem to Jericho is nearly 3,500 feet below or lower in elevation. It meant this, the road was steep and dangerous, with caves providing amazing spots for bandits to hang out and, and roadway pirates. Oh, the man, he fell into just that. He fell into the hands of roadway pirates and bandits. And they stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. The man's situation was desperate. 
I was in college and my, uh, no, nothing really like that, but yeah, similar, a little bit. I was in college and I was on 19th and Geary in San Francisco because that's where I went to school. And uh, I didn't realize this, but there was a bunch of people hiding out. There was a bunch of people hiding out between, behind trash cans and buildings and dumpsters and everything like that. But there were two on the street. These two on the street started kind of like, you know, Err. and me being a, you know, a good quality 21-year-old knucklehead, I went, Err. So now we're going, Err, and I'm thinking, wow, two dudes, me. Ah, I don't know, might hurt a little bit. <sighs> All of a sudden, they jumped out from everywhere, literally everywhere. I'm surrounded by 20-plus people, and they have, like, all sorts of stuff in their hands and all sorts of things. I'm like, oh. And I'm thinking to myself right now, all right, we're not going to do the eh anymore. I'm going to go, hey, can we solve this some other way? I don't know. And all of a sudden, I felt something, like, kind of wet, and I went like this, and when I went like this to feel my head, then, boom, I start getting hit with all sorts of tools and ratchets and stuff. I'm just getting beat up. And next thing I know, I'm on the ground, and I'm bleeding, and everything's just bad, and... And uh, <laughs> mm, bandits, they'll do some damage to you and you can be left there in some pretty desperate need. It happens. It absolutely happens. And while I was laying there, I was wondering, will somebody come around? Besides my girlfriend at the time who tried to come to my aid, I'm like, what did you do that for? Mm, will somebody else come around? It's my wife now, so geez. <laughs> Jesus immediately introduced hope into this story. He said a priest and then a priest assistant were found to be going down that road at separate times. The, the, the priest and his servant were servants of God. And I'm just going to combine these two for time's sake, right? But the priest and the servant both worked in the temple, both brought right, the, the sacrifices before the Lord, both assisted in taking care of the righteousness of Israel and the people, right? Both were expected to be pinnacles of righteousness and virtue and of character, and they were both expected to be of high character and men of God. Done. That's who they were expected to be. Okay. And the servants were, first of all, servants of God, Right? We talked about those who offer sacrifices. Even if one of them didn't want to stop, each of them knew the law's requirement to show mercy. Leviticus 19 says this, The stranger who resides with you uh, shall be to you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. It's a Jewish person, a Jewish man, lying in the street, beat up. They knew the law. You stop and you take care of them. There's been a lot written, a lot taught on why they didn't stop. That's not going to be the topic of our discussion today. And to be honest, that's not really the topic of the discussion of this passage. And so anything we, we infer from that, that's all we're really doing is we're just kind of going, oh, well, maybe it was this reason, maybe it was that reason. But that's not the topic. That is not the reason for this story. But it's good, it's good thought. Like, why didn't they stop? Obviously, they're neighbors of the, of the Jewish man that's in the ground, obviously. Remember the original question? Well, who is my neighbor? And if it's not the priest with the Jewish man laying on the ground, then who is the neighbor? Jesus, what are you getting to in this story? Huh. Well, then he says this. Jesus' story continued, and a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon the wounded man. Stop it, Jesus. You're not going to try to tell me that the Samaritan is involved in this story. The Samaritan is going to be called the neighbor. That's, that's impossible. Well, sure enough. And you're like, why would that be so crazy? Well, here's what it basically comes down to. The animosity between Jews and Samaritans dated back several centuries. When Israel was defeated by the Assyrians and taken into captivity... 
And as they were taken into captivity, basically the king said, here, I'm going to either kill, destroy, take, whatever it would be, all the men from Israel. I'm taking them. And I want to put men from my kingdom there. And then what's going to happen is they're going to marry the women of Israel, and we're going to procreate, and babies are going to conceive, and now i got a whole new people, my people. That's his idea. And so as that happens, it actually starts to work. The idolatrous nation and Israel starts to combine their worship. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. But the Samaritans, and they're called Samaritans because it is in the cities and the area of Samaria that this happened. That's all. It's not a bad word. That's just where it happened. And so they eventually turned back to worshiping Yahweh and Yahweh alone. But the Jews and the Samaritans still hated each other. And to be honest, when you start to unravel it, for some really crummy reasons. Isn't that usually what happens in our life? We end up getting these disagreements with people, and we continue it and continue it and continue it. And really, for some pretty crummy reasons. They won't say, I'm sorry. Okay, well, you know, we get over it. Okay, whatever it happens to be. So, we keep moving. The Samaritans stopped. We need to be certain of this. A Jew or a Samaritan wouldn't help, would not help one another at all. But when the Samaritan saw the beaten, helpless man, he felt compassion. That word compassion means to suffer with. He felt the need to suffer with him. And he helped him and took care of him. Jesus gets to the answer. Who is my neighbor? By asking another question of the lawyer. Now, which of these three would you say to the na- is, was a neighbor to the man who was attacked And the man replied, the one who showed mercy. Then Jesus said, now go and do the same. So our neighbor, our actual neighbor, is what? Is the one who needs compassion, is the one who needs mercy, and the one who needs Jesus. That's is our actual neighbor. And who is it that needs Jesus? Everybody. Everybody. The one who doesn't know Jesus needs Jesus. The one who needs to grow up in Jesus needs Jesus. The one who needs to be encouraged in their journey with Jesus needs Jesus. All fit that category. So who will the Lord intersect with our lives as he intersected the life of the Samaritan? And how will we respond? Will we respond like the priest, for whatever reason, chose to walk in the opposite direction? Or will we respond like the Samaritan? But Jesus actually told us, go respond like the neighbor. Go respond like the Samaritan. And what we have to understand is in this passage, Do you know who the Samaritan is? Jesus. Jesus is the Samaritan. We were his enemies and he stepped out of his, right? Stepped out of eternity into our lives. And even though we hated him, he loved us while we hated him, while we were in our sin, forgave us, offered us salvation, gave everything for us, laid it all down, paid the most costly price that you could pay his own life. So let's look at it. Let's break this down as quickly as we can, okay? 
What does it mean to go and do the same? What does it mean to love our neighbor? Our neighbor who needs mercy, compassion, and Jesus. First of all, it means we walk with our eyes wide open and resolved in purpose. The priest and the temple assistant, they walked with their eyes open. They saw the man. They went over, and for whatever reason, we don't know why, did nothing for him. That should not be us. The Samaritan was walking down the street, saw the man, went over, and did something. To have our eyes wide open is something we must do. And we travel through this life too often with our eyes closed or fixated on just my little thing. Whatever my little thing is, I gotta get to the store and I gotta get back. I gotta make dinner by this time. I gotta get the kids to this place. I gotta get somebody else to this place. I gotta get to work by this time. I gotta get home from work by this time. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. And we go with this really breakneck pace of everything that we've decided for ourselves. And so we put our eyes fixed on this little pathway that we have made for ourselves. Okay, okay. Maybe even God has told us that many of these things in our pathway are what he wants us to do. Okay. But he says we are to love those that are around us. We are to love our neighbor. If we have our eyes closed and only fixed on my schedule or the things I have to accomplish, I will never see my neighbors. I will never see those that the Lord crosses my path. I will never be available to what he wants me to do because I am so fixated on my, uh, on my agenda, on my time. And so we have to travel with our eyes wide open. Lord, what is it that you have? What is it that you want me to see? And then, Lord, as I see it, what should my purpose be? What should my great, my great purpose should be what? To love you and to love others and to make disciples. That should be it, right? My great mission is that. So, Lord, as you have me encounter people, help me to love them the way you have loved me, that while I was still a sinner, you poured out your life for me, you paid the price, and while I turn my back on you every day, you continue to lavish me with grace, and as I am kind of thick-headed and I don't take all your lessons and the teaching, you continue to teach me and you continue to pour out to me, oh Lord, you sacrificed everything and it cost you everything, so okay, Lord, oh, absolutely resolved in purpose to love others the way that God has loved us. And after all, isn't the definition of how you would choose to be loved? I want to be loved the way that God loves me. So let's go love others that way. My eyes are wide open. Who will my life intersect with, Lord? For they are my neighbor and I want to love them. What does it mean to go and do the same? What does it mean to love our neighbor? The neighbor who needs mercy, compassion, and Jesus? Well, it means that we love with great conviction. Again, my purpose is to let you know who Jesus is. My purpose is is that you would know the truth about Jesus. We love with great conviction. My purpose is is that I come with the name of God and I come with his authority and I come with his truth. Did you notice in chapter nine how everywhere that there was miracles to be done and every time there was something to happen like that, like where God really demonstrated his authority and his power, what was it accompanied by? The preaching of the word, the telling of the coming of the kingdom, Right? He does these great things through us for what reason? He wants us to love so incredibly well for what reason? That people would know him and come to know him and come to know him and grow up in him and be encouraged by him and be disciples of his because he loves them and he chooses to use us in their lives. So he says, go love your neighbors the way I've loved you. So we're, we're absolutely committed to our conviction to tell people about him, but what? We are non-discriminatory. Oh, and I know this is going to ruffle some feathers because it ruffles my feathers. We are non-discriminatory. Galatians says that there is neither Jew nor Greek nor free nor slave nor male nor female, right? There is no, we are all one in Christ. All of us are. 
We withhold the love of God, the truth of God, the kindness of God, the generosity of God from no one. And you're like, yeah, you don't understand. They're really liberal. We'll give them Jesus and love them like Jesus did. Yeah, but you don't understand. It's like a whole house full of thugs. Give them Jesus and love them like Jesus did. Yeah, but you, I don't care. To love our neighbors is non-discriminatory. It is full of conviction. It is full of reason. I, I mean, I'm sorry, it's full of response of who God is, but it is non-discriminatory. We give the love of God. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. James 2, 8, 9, if you really keep the royal law found in scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law. To say that we have been loved by God and we have the love of God in us, but to show favoritism or to discriminate in our love of who we will love. And how do we do that sometimes? I don't think they want to know anything about Jesus, so I'm not going to talk to him. That might be one of the greatest ways we do it. Oh, you know, they're, they're from another country. What? I don't care where they're from. Tell them about Jesus. And love them with the most incredible love that's ever been witnessed or given in all the time in history. Do it, and do it at great sacrifice to yourself because that's how Jesus did it for us. He said, go and do the same. Like, I'm literally just telling you what scripture says. So if you want to get upset at me, eh. okay. <laughs> what does it mean to, sit, to go and do the same? What does it mean to love our neighbors? Our neighbor who needs mercy, compassion, and Jesus, it means we, it means we love and offer compassion we offer to suffer with them. We are inconvenienced all the time. We're willing to be. And we're inconvenienced that others might know Christ. During his ministry, we constantly see Jesus be inconvenienced. We constantly see Jesus being derailed. We constantly seeing Jesus being disrupted and disrupting the ordinary and the schedule. The woman at the well, the paralytic lowered in front of him, the blind man on the side of the road, children upon children, Zacchaeus and Matthew, the tax collectors, the lepers, the sick, the blind, the deaf, the paralyzed, the prostitutes, the thieves, the adulterers, the abandoned, the dismissed, and the despised by the religious, all, all of them inconvenienced Jesus. And he stopped. The God of the universe stopped, who only had three years to execute his ministry on earth. I think he had a little bit tight of a time schedule. And yet he was constantly inconvenienced. And so should we. We have to be willing to suffer with others. We have to be willing to show them the love of Christ. Matthew 9, 35 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If we don't live with our eyes wide open and we don't live with incredible purpose and we don't, right? And we don't live with the conviction of that purpose and willing to never be discriminatory, we will never see that they're sitting there harassed and helpless and that they need a shepherd and we know the shepherd. What does it mean to do the same? What does it mean to love, your, to love our neighbor? 
the neighbor who needs mercy and compassion. It means that it's gonna cost us. And this might be the hardest one for us, but it's gonna cost us. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed the wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher, I'll pay you the next time. So what did he do? He bandaged up his wounds. Think about this for a second. The robber stripped naked and took his clothes. You know what that means? That means he had to take his own clothes. He had to take his own clothes or his traveling clothes and he had to rip them up and he had to make bandages out of them. And then he took olive oil and he had, that means that was either meant for his journey or he was taken back to his family and he had to sacrifice it for this, this Jew on the side of the road. It, it cost him greatly. And then he, and he stopped his journey wherever he was headed to and he picks him up because he needed greater care and he puts him on his donkey and then what does he do? He takes him to an inn. All right, dumps him on the side of the road. Remember that story I told you about me? It was pretty crazy. There was a the fire department was going to a different call, and they all of a sudden pulled over on the side of the road, saw me laying there. They bandaged me up, and they said, hey, I, there's an ambulance coming at some point, and they left. I went, thanks. This man picked him up took him to an inn, got him all situated in the inn, paid the price, two denarii. Depending on the end, it was anywhere from, check this out now, three weeks to two months worth of room and board. He paid three weeks to two months worth of room and board. And he said, hey, and by the way, if that's not enough, here's what I'm saying to you, you got a blank check. I'll come back and pay whatever the bill is, take care of this man. Which means he's also coming back. He's gonna follow up. It's gonna cost. Well, yeah, because what did it cost Jesus to love us? Everything, everything. And he says, now go and love others just the way that I have loved you. We read this last week, right? June, in Luke 9, 23 through 25. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? Yet lose their very life themselves. So church, we gotta, we're always asking ourselves the question, where's my priorities? Who is my worship to? Who's number one in my life, the Lord God or myself? What's the greater priority, God's schedule or my schedule? Am I willing to suffer with people or only have people to suffer with me or only have God suffer for me? Am I willing to pay whatever price God has asked me to pay? Not for his redemption, but that somebody else might know him. Am I willing? So here's how I wanna end this thing. Who needs mercy? That person is your actual neighbor. Who needs to be shown compassion? That person is your actual neighbor. Who needs to be encouraged in their relationship with Jesus? 
Who needs Jesus? That person is your actual neighbor. And yes, that includes your physical neighbors. God has actually caused you to intersect with their lives. You share a fence. And so when Joel talks about his neighborhood and he talks about, we talk about our neighborhood meetups, how is it that we could talk about loving our neighbors and go, well, but I gotta look for the one that's on the road somewhere. Sure, because God didn't put you in the path of these other ones that you live next to. Yeah, but somebody's bleeding. Sure, maybe the one right next door. Do you see why we use that word? That's not in scripture, actual. But do you see how scripture speaks of who is your actual neighbor? Who is your neighbor? It answers the question, the one who needs mercy, the one who needs compassion, the one who needs Jesus. And don't look past your neighbors. Your path actually crosses them more than anybody else because you go there every night and you leave every morning. And on Saturdays and Sundays, you spend a little extra time like all day. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for today. Thanks for your kindness of your word the generosity of your great love for us. Thank you for the many, many ways that you care for us. And Lord, we need your vision. We need to see the way you see. We need our eyes wide open and we're gonna have to help you help us with that. We love that you've loved us with this incredible grace and mercy, Father. Thank you for that. But we need to give it away. So help us, Lord. Help us to love the way you do, to suffer the way you suffered for us. Help us, Lord, to be willing to pay whatever price is needed that they might hear about your great love. So, Lord, may we be a people that are known by our love for others. In your name we pray, amen.